Well, we're on the third week of exploring the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, which together was actually originally just one book. We spent the last few weeks um, looking at the beginnings of the book of Ezra. And today we embark on the rest of our journey as we head into Nehemiah. So let's just have a little recap of what's happened so far in the story. Well, the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah tell the story of the Jewish people returning to Jerusalem after a period of about 70 years of exile in Babylon. A couple of weeks ago, as Gareth kicked us off in Ezra, we saw Cyrus, the king of Persia, stirred by God to allow the Israelites to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And so all the Israelites whose hearts had been stirred by God packed up and returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple under the leadership of Zerubbabel. And yet, as we heard last week from Steve, there were mixed opinions among the Israelites as the building came together, with some shouting for joy and others weeping with sadness as they remembered and compared it to the previous temple. You may then have noticed that we've kind of skipped the rest of the book of Ezra to leapfrog to our passage today. But fear not, because we're going to be coming back to the character of Ezra a little bit later on in our teaching series. And so we find ourselves today, about 80 years on from the, last, from the reading that we had last week, in this first chapter of Nehemiah. Here we are introduced to the character of Nehemiah and his journey in following the call of God to return to Jerusalem and lead the rebuilding of the city walls. This chapter gives us an amazing insight into what it is to sense God's calling. But I think one of the most fascinating things about this chapter is that we don't actually have a specific sentence that says, and God said to Nehemiah, go return to Jerusalem and rebuild the city walls. In fact, we don't hear God speak at all in this chapter, or at least not in the way we might expect him to. You know, often in the Old Testament, when somebody hears the call of God, it says something like this. And God said to Jonah, or the Lord said to Abram, or then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. But we don't hear Nehemiah's sense of calling articulated in that way at all. And I think this is actually vastly reassuring, because when we think about calling, especially for those of us perhaps in our 20s and 30s, I think we often think of something quite mystical and unattainable especially if we've grown up in charismatic churches, we might find ourselves worrying that we'll somehow miss out on God's specific calling for us. We might end up in the wrong career or the wrong city, or perhaps even end up marrying the wrong person. Agonizing over this question of how we sense God's calling, of why we haven't yet heard this big booming voice coming down from heaven, it can cause us to have a quarter life crisis. And yet our opening chapter of Nehemiah gives us a reassuring message. It's about what it looks like to sense the call of God when there isn't a big booming voice coming down from heaven. And the thing that has really stood out to me in my preparation for this talk has been the attentive posture that Nehemiah holds. 
And in a lot of ways, I think it's from this posture of attentiveness that he discerns the calling that God has for him. You might actually remember about a month ago, Steve also spoke at our 6.30 service about being attentive. And so I'm wondering if God is particularly wanting to speak to us about what it is to be attentive in this season as a 6.30 congregation. So as we make our way for this passage, do keep it open in front of you. We're going to take a closer look at this attentive posture that Nehemiah carries and see how we can learn from him as we sense God's call for ourselves. So verse one, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. The chapter begins with what I like to think of as quite a normal conversation. Nehemiah's brother, Hanani, and some other men had been away to Judah, and they came back, and Nehemiah was interested in their trip. And he simply asks, you know, how are things going there? I don't think Nehemiah necessarily asked this question expecting to hear from God. And to be fair, this was probably um, of quite a lot of interest, a bit of a hot topic. So a lot of the Jews, like Nehemiah, who had not returned to rebuild in Jerusalem, you know, they wanted to know how things were progressing. And so I think one of the first things that we can learn from this verse is that Nehemiah was attentive to the wider work of God. He was simply interested in what was going on. God's calling sometimes grows out of simply opening our eyes to his wider work outside of our immediate network. This might look like simply asking how things are going at another person's church. It might look like making sure that we actually read that prayer letter that we get from that mission partner in our inbox every month. Or it might just be asking others what God is doing in their lives and how he is stirring them. When we hear about the work of God beyond our immediate circumstances, it stretches and strengthens our faith. It inspires and challenges us. And it teaches us to look beyond ourselves and gives us a wider perspective of what God is calling us into. You know, this may seem, I'm aware, like a very small minor point, perhaps even a given. But I think it's a helpful reminder nonetheless, especially in this time when it's easier than ever to only become increasingly introspective. God wants to open our eyes to his work beyond ourselves. And as we look beyond ourselves, I believe God will reveal more of the ways he's calling us. A few weeks ago at our morning services, we heard from one of our mission partners, Ian Morris, who shared a bit of his story and God's call on him to move to Sierra Leone. And for him, the beginning of his sense of calling was an incredibly brief conversation where Peter Bates, another church member, was simply telling him about a project that was going on in Sierra Leone. Ian's discerning of God's calling all started from this 
really brief conversation where Ian was simply taking an interest in the wider work of God. To discern God's calling, we need to grow in being attentive to and interested in God's wider work beyond ourselves and beyond our immediate circumstances. He might just be calling us to pay closer attention. Listen to the response of Nehemiah when he hears how things are going in Jerusalem. Verse three, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So the report about how things are going is not good. Not only has the rebuilding project fallen into a bit of a state, but the people of Israel themselves were in great trouble and they'd fallen into disrepute with those around them. It's not a good report at all. And so how did Nehemiah respond to this? Did he say, ah, oh, you know, that's a real shame and just carry on with his day? No. Did he feel a little uncomfortable and sad for maybe a moment, but then just, you know, kind of battered those thoughts away, don't have time for them? No, he didn't do that either. When he heard these things, he sat down and wept. Nehemiah is that stirred by what he hears that he sits down, weeps, and then takes on a whole period of mourning, fasting, and praying. In fact, we know that there was about four months between this conversation and the beginning of chapter two. So quite possibly this was the length of time that Nehemiah fasted and prayed for. This isn't a normal response to the bad news that Nehemiah heard, but this is a response to the stirring of God. Nehemiah is attentive to God's stirring in him. He drops everything and responds by seeking more of God's heart. There's just such an amazing sense of surrender in Nehemiah. And we just see that this man is really attuned to the stirrings of God. His response already overflows out of an already attentive posture. And his response is to lean in even further and be even more attentive to God. I wonder if you've ever found yourself stirred by God. Can you think of a time when you've been surprisingly moved, perhaps to the point of weeping? Or maybe you felt your heart pounding or your stomach churning? When I was um, in the midst of discerning a call to student ministry, one of the significant points for me was following a conversation with a student about some relationship drama that she was going through, which I know seems perhaps a little trivial. And the whole walk home after this conversation, I remember just having a really deep sense of sadness that this, the whole way this drama was playing out was just really not God's best for her. And when I got home, I just lay on my bed and wept for a while. You know, that wasn't the normal response to that conversation. I'd had conversations like that before and hadn't responded in that way. But it was God stirring me in that moment at that time, forming his calling in me to disciple students and speak his truth into similar situations. What has God 
stirred in you. And of course, the challenge is, is that when we have these stirrings, what do we do with them? Do we bury them and bat them aside? Or do we drop everything and respond by leaning in further, seeking after God's heart and giving our attention to him? You know, this is why we always want to create room for responding to the word of God in our 6.30 services, because we believe there's something so significant about leaning into the ways that God is stirring us. You know, we can all say, well, I'll pray about that later, or, well, I must remember to think more about that this week. But the reality is, is that if we're not quick to respond to God's stirrings, then we can often forget them and miss, from, miss out on hearing from God. And I'm not saying that we need to quickly leap into action after feeling God's stirrings. You know, it can take weeks and months and years to fully process and work through what these stirrings mean. Nehemiah himself took four months for this. But I think we do need to be quick to recognize and clock these stirrings, to say some kind of initial yes to exploring them further. To discern God's calling, we need to grow in being attentive to God's stirrings and being ready to respond. And so the stirring that Nehemiah feels from God leads him into the most beautiful prayer, which I think we can probably take as a sort of summary of all of Nehemiah's praying and reflections from this time of fasting and prayer. And in this prayer, he prays about halfway through verse six. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and law you gave your servant Moses. Nehemiah takes hold of all the sins of all the Israelites, confessing them to God. Nehemiah could have very easily looked at all the problems that the Israelites had back in Jerusalem and just kind of seen it as, you know, their issue, not his. Or he could very easily have developed a kind of saviour complex, believing himself to be better than them and ready to swoop in and save them. And yet instead, we see a deep attentiveness and affinity with God's people and their problems. In fact, Nehemiah is so deeply attentive that their problems become his problems and their sin becomes his sin. Nehemiah takes ownership and responsibility and brings both his own confession and his confession for all of the Israelites before God. I've been reminded recently of the book Dirty Glory by Pete Gregg. It's an incredibly inspiring read. I'd really recommend it. And it has just story after story of prayers being prayed and God answering them, the Holy Spirit working and moving in the most extraordinary of ways. And one of the stories that Pete tells is about the revival in the Hebrides Islands off the west coast of Scotland between 1949 and 1953. 
And this amazing revival began with two elderly sisters praying for the young people of the island. And as they were praying about this, they received this vision from God of all these young people flocking into their local church. And so they got in touch with their local minister and the, the church elders, and they, they told them that they needed to begin praying too, which they then did. So they all began praying in earnest. But the real breakthrough came one evening when all the elders were gathered together and they were praying. And then one elder read out Psalm 24. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. And in reading this, the church elders were suddenly struck by not just their need to pray for everyone else on, their, on the island, but by the need to ask themselves whether they had clean hands and pure hearts. And as they were stirred to fall onto their knees and confess, the room was suddenly filled with the unmistakable presence of God. This moment was later described as the catalyst that let loose a power that shook the Hebrides. And in the months and years that followed that moment, it's thought that the majority of the population on the Hebrides Islands surrendered their lives to Christ. How amazing is that? Here, a stirring led the people to pray, to listen to God, and to humbly confess. And from here, the revival took off. I think we see a really important lesson here in discerning and living out God's calling. Just like those prayer warriors in the Hebridean revival, Nehemiah showed an astounding sense of humility, moving from a stirring to praying to confessing, both for himself and his people. There's no pride or personal credit taken, but in this prayer, Nehemiah cultivates a deep sense of affinity and empathy towards those whom God is calling him to. And an acknowledgement as well that he is not their savior, he is a sinner just like them. And of course, there's a lot here that points us to the only one who could truly save God's people, Jesus. Jesus, who, though he was God, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by obedience to death, even death on a cross. Jesus himself took ownership and responsibility for all sins, for all people, for all time. He showed an astounding sense of humility and proved the depth of his affinity with humanity by literally becoming one of us. As apprentices to Jesus, this is how we are to handle the callings that God gives us, pairing ownership with humility, responsibility with empathy. Another story from Dirty Glory is the story of how the 24-7 prayer movement came to form a permanent team in um, the party town of Ibiza. And a key part of this ministry was called the Vomit Van. 
By night, the vomit van was used to take home those who were very, very drunk or wasted on drugs. And yet by day, the vomit van was the vehicle that the team used to transport their kids to school. Now, whatever you think about whether this was a hygienic choice to make, you can't deny the humility that's shown here, that beautiful mingling of the team's lives with the lives of those people that they were serving. To discern God's calling, we need to grow in being humbly attentive to the problems of God's people and be willing to take them on as our own. Like Nehemiah, we need to pair ownership with humility and responsibility with empathy. There's so much more that we could be saying about this passage. We could look at Nehemiah's attentiveness to God's word, the way that Nehemiah is so soaked in scripture, drawing on parts of Deuteronomy 30 and the other promises of God to shape his prayers. We could learn that to discern God's calling, we need to grow in being attentive to God's word. Or we could look at Nehemiah's attentiveness to God's placing, that seemingly throwaway line at the end of chapter one, where we discover that Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king, where we see how Nehemiah was perfectly placed in the right place at the right time to fulfill the calling that God had laid on him. We could think about where God has or is placing us and the gifts and skills that he's placed in our hands to use for his glory. We could look at how to discern God's calling. We need to grow in being attentive to God's placing. And yet, where I feel that we actually need to land is on the two verses that sort of bookend Nehemiah's prayer, verse 6 and verse 11. So verse 6, Lord, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night, for your servants, the people of Israel. And verse 11, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Here we see the tables turn as Nehemiah calls God to be attentive to him. He asks that God's ears and eyes would be open to the prayers of those who serve him. And in one sense, this seems like a very bold thing to ask of God. You know, who is Nehemiah that God should be attentive to him? And yet I think that actually Nehemiah's request of God is beautifully demonstrative of the dynamic, mutually attentive relationship that God longs to have with all his people. Because ultimately, our capacity to adopt an attentive posture is only possible because we are made in the image of an attentive God. The God whom right from the beginning of time has always been attentive to those he has made. And the God throughout the whole of scripture and today as well, who is calling, is constantly calling his people to return to him, to simply be with him, to be attentive to him as he is attentive to us. You see, the primary call of God that we are all given is the calling to intimacy with him. 
right back in Genesis 3, the first question that God asks of humanity is Ayaka, where are you? Not where are you locationally in this garden, but where are you in relation to me? Because ultimately the story of scripture is of a God who is far, far more interested in where we are in relation to him than what job or city we end up in. Of course, it is true to say that God does have a plan for us and there may well be specific callings, gifts, dreams and passions that he's given to us. And inevitably we will grow in intimacy with God as we step into these things. But seeking intimacy with God is not just a means to the ends of finding some great career advice or life guidance. God wants us to seek intimacy with him as an end in and of itself. It's the primary calling that God has given us. And really, we can fulfill this calling in most jobs and places. And I think that for all of us who have agonized over that sense of God's calling, that is vastly reassuring. And there's a particular word here, I think, for those of you who feel like this pandemic has put your life on hold, perhaps even put your calling on hold. And you might really be sitting at home, sitting in the frustration and the annoyance of that. But I think there's an encouragement here that God's calling on us is never on hold because his primary calling for us all is always to grow in intimacy and attentiveness to him. I think God is especially calling us to this in this season. And remember too that Nehemiah took four months to pray through and process this initial stirring that he had before he acted upon it. And perhaps this lockdown is an invitation from God to process some of those stirrings that he's given to you. To discern God's calling, we need to grow in being attentive to the one who is attentive to us. So as we wrap up, throughout this first chapter of Nehemiah, we see him adopt this attentive posture, showing attentiveness to God's wider work, God's stirring, God's people and their problems, God's word, God's placing, and most importantly, to God himself. For ultimately, it is from Nehemiah's place of seeking deeper intimacy with God as he seeks him in his prayer and fasting. That is the place from which Nehemiah finds greater clarity in the things that God is calling him to.